You may be seated this morning. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be here this morning. It's great to see you. Why don't you take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. If you are visiting with us today, it is our normal habit to walk through books of the Bible. And uh, we are coming to the end of the book of Philippians. We are in verse verses uh, 8 and 9 in Philippians chapter 4 this morning. Some very familiar verses turned there, and we'll read those in just a minute as we continue our journey through this wonderful book from the Apostle Paul. Over the past few years, I have been really consumed with trying to answer one simple question, and I began to ask it really for my own life, trying to understand exactly how these things work, and then as I began to dig into this, realized how significant that is for me as a pastor who has been called by God to lead people. Over and over, I just continue to pray that God would give me more and more insight into this one question. How is it that people make spiritual progress? How do people make spiritual progress? You've heard me say before, I think oftentimes the church does a really good job of telling people how to become a Christian, but not a great job of how to actually be a Christian. How is it that people make spiritual progress? And there's probably been no book that has helped me more than the book of Philippians. Seeing the way in which Paul ministers to the people, speaks to the people, the way in which he's talking to them about their spiritual progress gives us a lot of insight. I think the main thing we learn from Philippians in that regard is this, is that God is working on us. Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in us will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. You have spiritual life because God began a work in you. God is always the initiator. And so God is initiated with you. He's working in your life. And God is putting all kinds of circumstances in your life. The all-knowing, perfectly wise God putting just the right amount of pressure and putting a little bit more on, taking a little bit of away, putting you in the right circumstances, continuing to conform you into his image. He is moving us forward. Sometimes it's really fast and obvious, and sometimes it seems very slow and unclear. But the fact is, is that we can be confident as God's people, God is working on us in ways that we cannot understand or see. But apart from that, not only is God working us, but God is using people to work on us. One of the primary ways in which God helps us to make spiritual progress is through the ministry of other people. And Paul understood this because in Philippians 1.25 he says this, It is my hope that I would remain with you for your joy and progress in the faith. Paul realized that he had a responsibility to be involved in their lives and help them make progress. Now, Partly Paul was saying that because he was a pastor, and it is part of the role of the pastor to help provide opportunities for people in the church to make spiritual progress. That is what we do. We exist to help you make spiritual progress and put the right things in place so you can be making spiritual progress. But it's more than just pastors. The fact is is that the entire body of Christ works together for that purpose. That God is using all kinds of different people in your life in order to encourage you, to spur you on, to love you, to demonstrate what it looks like to know Jesus. This is why we need the church. There is never a place in scripture where it tells us that you can grow spiritually without the ministry of the local church. If you're visiting this morning, you're not plugged into a local church, let me just say this. You don't have to be a member of this one, but you have to be a member of some Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church. Because God's intention for you to grow is through the church. So God himself is working on us. God uses all kinds of other people to work on us as well. 
But the other thing Philippians teaches is this, is that God is also using our own effort to grow us. This is not simply a passive process. This is something that we play an active role in. He tells us in Philippians 2, 12 and 13 that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That the God who is beginning this work is calling us to work out what he has already worked in. We must, must apply effort and diligence in our walk with Jesus Christ. It takes discipline. And so God is doing this work on us. He put us in a context like this where other people are doing a work on us. And we are called as well to be working out our own salvation. To be doing the right things that lead to spiritual progress. And listen, God's ambition for every one of you, if you're a child of God, God's ambition for every one of you is that you be making spiritual progress. Trusting God's work in your life and his sovereignty over your life. Putting yourself in a position where you're a part of a local church that's leading you and you applying diligence and effort to ensure that spiritual progress. So this is on Paul's mind as he's writing this entire letter. And so it just makes sense that when he comes to the end of this letter, he gives us two final commands. These are the last two commands given in the entire book. Now, he's going to give some real help and some instruction later. He's going to talk about their relationship. We've got a, a couple more sermons left in Philippians, but he gives two final commands. And it is in those two commands in which I believe he gives us two of the most important parts of our role in making spiritual progress. Things that we must do and must continually be doing in order to make progress. And they're right here in verses 8 and 9. If you're there at Philippians 4, 8 and 9, say amen. Listen to what it says. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Two commands in these verses. To think and to practice. To think and to practice. As Paul comes to the end of this letter, he wants to make sure that we understand we have a role in our spiritual progress. If you are playing a passive role and you're not actively engaged in seeking the Lord, then you will not make spiritual progress. And at the end, he gives us two of the most critical parts of our role in this spiritual progress. And they can be summarized in two words, thinking and practicing. Thinking and practicing. Now, I want to walk through these two commands for us together because the Lord is speaking this to us. This is not just Paul to the Philippians. This is God to us saying, if you desire to make spiritual progress, you need to be thinking correctly and practicing what you've learned. So two points this morning I want to give you from this text. I encourage you to write these down. The first one is this. We must be actively changing what we're thinking. Actively change what you're thinking. This is his command in verse 8. Actively change what you're thinking. The word think there is a word that means to dwell on something, to evaluate something, to ponder something. It is not a fleeting thought. It is not an accidental thought. It is not passively receiving what is going on in your mind. It is a conscious effort to dwell on certain things, to think carefully and deeply, to, to meditate. 
And it's a command. Look what he says at the end of verse 8. He says, think about these things. This is a direct command that instead of allowing our minds to passively be filled with whatever it is that's filling them, to instead we are to see our minds as something that we are taking an active role in and we are the ones deciding what we're thinking about. This is a call to be aggressive. It is a call to be determining what you're thinking about. I think the greatest kind of cross-reference to this would be Romans 12, 2, where it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So it says there's two options. You can be conformed to the world, which is exactly what happens when you take a passive role. If you're not working hard to determine what you're thinking about, constantly pouring the right things into your mind, getting the word of God constantly before you, listening to the right things. If you are not doing that, the result will be, without you knowing it, you will be conformed to the world. You are going to look like something, and it's not going to be Jesus. Your other option is this, and instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word renew literally means to reprogram. To take your mind, which through all of these years has been filled with all kinds of things. I mean, just think about everything you see, everything you hear. All of those things are going into your mind. And so what Paul is saying is this, your mind as a believer needs to be reprogrammed. You, you need to get your mind to be thinking in a different way. How do you do that? Well, by this direct command to actively, consciously start thinking about the right things. Now, listen, you know that our mind plays a massive role in who we are and who we're becoming. This is why over and over in Scripture, we're commanded to think rightly, to work on our mind. Colossians 3, 2 and 3 says this. It says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with God in Christ Jesus. Listen, this is a conscious discipline to set your mind, to fix your mind on things that are right. You see the same thing in Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh, those who are not believers, well, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Here it is again. You determine where your mind is. You set your mind on specific things. Everything starts here. I think when we think about our spiritual progress, we think about a lot of things, and I'm not sure we think enough about the power of the mind. But the truth is, a disciplined mind will lead to a holy life. A disciplined mind will lead to a holy life. Just think about the battles that we face in our spiritual life. We talked last week about the battle of anxiety. We think about the lusts of the flesh. We think about an issue with materialism. I think about how difficult it is when we start comparing ourselves to others, contrasting ourselves with others. We think about all the insecurities that we face, the anger, the bitterness that we face. Do you realize every single bit of that begins right here? And if you want to fight those battles over anxiety or the lust of the flesh or bitterness or materialism or comparing and contrasting, every single battle must begin here. That's not all there is to it, but it has to begin in the mind. Proverbs 23, 7 says this, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That means that you are becoming what you're thinking about. 
You are becoming what you're thinking about. Our mind actually has that much power. You are becoming what you're thinking about. And listen, you might kind of feel uncomfortable right now and think, Pastor, this sounds a little new agey. It's not new agey. It's the way in which God has designed us. God has designed that your mind be one of the primary places you are focusing on that needs to be sanctified because you are going the direction of what you're thinking. Now, if you've ever experienced something like this, this is going to resonate with you. But one of the things that I learned uh, in a couple of circumstances, first, when my wife was diagnosed with cancer about five years ago, and then when my father was diagnosed with cancer last year, the most miraculous thing happens. And if you've ever been in this situation, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. All of a sudden, when everyone knows that someone close to you has been diagnosed with cancer, there are just out of nowhere people you've known forever, and you never knew they were experts on cancer. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? And, and they often have secret cures that no one else knows about and that doctors know about, but they're not going to tell you because they're going to lose their practice. And if anybody knows about all of these secret things, it's going to undermine everything in the medical industry. Everybody's going to lose their jobs. And so they're doing everything they can to keep you from knowing all of these secret things. I could give you a hundred stories about this. One of my favorites is last year, my dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. I got an email from someone who I, I barely knew. It's, it's a real distant connection. I went to school uh, in high school with their children, but they were much younger than me. I really never knew them, but I knew who they were, and she found out about this somewhere on Facebook or something, and everything goes back to Facebook. And then uh, she contacted someone who contacted someone who contacted who, who knew me and got my email address, and she wrote me to tell me that the one thing doctors don't want you to know is this, is there is a cure to pancreatic cancer. Are you, are you listening? It's frankincense oil. Frankincense oil is the, I think you rub it on your big toe, I don't know what you do, but it is the secret cure to pancreatic cancer. So I thanked her for her uh, response. I uh, then went with my father to MD Anderson. We ended up getting in, by God's grace, to uh, a man who is most likely the leading pancreatic cancer doctor in the world. He has written more than anybody else. And I just, kind of at the end of the appointment, I went with my dad. I just said, just, can you just give me some insight into this? And I said, my dad's getting bombarded with the amount of vitamin C and all the things he should eat and do and uh, frankincense oil. And I said, is, is there anything in, in, into any of this? And here was his response. He said, frankincense oil is not going to cure you of pancreatic cancer. But if you think frankincense oil is helping you, it actually might help you. What he was saying is this, is if you actually believe in your mind that what you're rubbing on your big toe is going to help you, there is a sense into which this is actually going to help you. Why? Not because of the power of frankincense oil, because the power of your mind. You know this is true. That everyone knows that our mind has an incredible influence on the direction that we are going. And so what Paul is saying, listen, I need you to be waging a war on the mind. Every moment of the day, something is going in to your mind. And if you are not moment by moment fighting that with what is true, then you will inevitably start moving in a direction that is not Christ-likeness. Say, so, so what should we be thinking about? Well, it says right there, think about these things. The, these things are what are at the beginning of verse 8. Whatever is true and honorable, just and pure, lovely and commendable, anything of excellence, anything worthy of praise, these are the things that you should be thinking about. Now, can we just acknowledge in honesty 
that those things are not our default thoughts. So we're just left to ourselves. We're not just by default thinking things of excellence and purity, things that are lovely and worthy of praise. Can we acknowledge that? So if that is not our default, then there has to be some work involved in putting these things in our mind. Now, I'm not going to spend time on each one of these, but I want to point out a couple. First of all, look at that first one. Think about whatever is true. I love this because it really includes two separate things. First of all, I think the primary application of this is thinking about the word of God. Reading scripture, memorizing scripture, meditating on scripture. We know that scripture is true. We know that it is given to us for the reprogramming of our mind. So you have to begin with filling your mind with the word. Let me just say this. If you're getting up in the morning and spending 10, 15 minutes in the word in the morning, praise God. I hope every one of you are doing that. And that is a thing that we must do. But even with that, imagine the 15 minutes that we're spending in the word compared to the rest of the 23 and something hours that are all being bombarded with other thoughts that are going into our minds. There has to be more than just a little bit of time in the word. We've got to be filling our mind with true biblical things. But the other thing I love about this is it's also telling us that we should stop filling our mind with what's not true. I was talking to just a precious uh, sister in our church this last week, and she was saying that this is her favorite verse. And the reason is, is because of some very difficult circumstances they went to, through in their life. And when they started going through these circumstances, what happened is what always happens is our minds start going crazy. And we start thinking about all the possible things that could happen. And what I told her is what I often tell people, and that is this. God does not give you grace for your imaginary future. So you have this imaginary future, and you lay in bed at night, and you think about all the stuff that could happen and where this is going to head. Let me just tell you, you are more than welcome to go there, but God is not there. God is not in your imaginary future. God is in your reality. We spend so much time thinking about things that actually just aren't true. They aren't reality, and we wonder why we're overwhelmed, because you're going to a place that God has never promised to go with you. He is sufficient for your right now. He will be sufficient for your tomorrow, but you don't know what tomorrow is going to be. So focus on today. Take the next step today. Think about what is true and right today and let God worry about tomorrow. Think about what's true. He says, and what is, what is honorable, those things which are really fitting for a Christian, that which is just what's consistent with God's word. Whatever is, is pure, whatever is holy and clean. He says, whatever is, is lovely, that which, let me, let me just, I want to I say something about this one. This is not simply a reference to that which appears lovely, but it is that which leads to brotherly love. In other words, our mind is focused when we think about other people on loving thoughts of other people. Can you imagine if we just decided to start making an effort that when I think about someone else, I'm going to choose to think loving thoughts about that person? Instead of being bitter, I'm going to pray for them. Instead of being angry, I'm going to ask God to bless them. That my thoughts are thoughts of brotherly love towards those in my life. He says, whatever is commendable, whatever is excellent and worthy of praise, that which is morally good and holy, it is leading me to praise God. Now, I think we can summarize this in just three questions on what you should be thinking and let me give them to you this morning. I think you can summarize all of those eight virtues with these three questions. Number one is what I'm thinking true. Is it true? 
I mean, this is a good place to start. Am I, am I thinking about things that are not reality? Am I thinking about things down the road that I don't need to worry about? Is this true? Is this biblical? Is it reality? Is this true, number one? Number two, is this leading me to worship? Is this leading me to worship? When I think about this, does it make me love God more? Does it stir up my heart and my affections to enjoy God more? Is this leading me to worship? Is it true? Is it leading me to worship? And the third one is this. Is it leading me to love others? Is it leading me to love others? Does this thought encourage me to love people more? Or is this pulling me away to be more disconnected with people or maybe to greater bitterness or greater anger? The question is, is it true? Is it leading me to worship? Is it making me love God more? And is it causing me to love others more? This is not our default thinking. So the Apostle Paul says very quickly, quick, uh, clearly, and the Lord is saying to you this morning, Actively try to think about what is right because your mind is determining your direction. Actively change what you're thinking is his first command. The second one is this. It's from verse 9. Continually practice what you're learning. Actively change what you're thinking. You start with the battle of the mind. And then the second point for spiritual progress is this. Continually practice what you're learning. Because he says this in verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Do you notice how closely that's connected with verse 8? Think about these things. Practice these things. Both of these are commands. Think and practice. Think and practice. Wage the battle for the mind. Be filling your mind with what is true and leading you to worship and leading you to love others. Fight this battle. Constantly be putting right things in here. And then... As you're putting the right things in here, the next step needs to be this. Then you are putting into practice what you're filling your mind with. You're thinking and you're practicing. That word practice is a word that means repetition. It is a continuous action. In the same way that in any athletics, you are not only learning, but you're practicing. And the more that you practice, the better you're doing. And those practices make habits and those habits make for greater success just think about what paul's saying at this moment he's come to the end of his letter to the philippians where he has poured out his heart with all of these things that they are to do and the way they are to live and then he says this listen practice these things you know one of my fears often for a church like ours is that we most of us i won't put all of us in this category like to hear preaching all right, if you don't, don't say anything. But uh, we, we know a good sermon from a bad sermon, and we like a good sermon. We prefer a good sermon over a bad sermon, and we, we like good sermons. I mean, you've gathered this morning not just for the music, you've gathered for preaching, and we like preaching. But do you realize that every time God is speaking, and every time there is a sermon, it is not just for your information, it is for your transformation. And my fear sometimes is that we might so enjoy hearing the word of God that we forget that even this morning, everything that is being given to you from this word is calling for a response from you. That James sounded the warning in 122 when he said, do not just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. There is actually danger. It says that we're deluding ourselves. If we think somehow we're making spiritual progress by week in and week out coming and hearing a sermon without then practicing what we've heard. And what Paul is saying is this, listen, I'm so glad you like my letter. That's awesome. 
I'm glad you love my little thing on humility and putting others before yourself. I'm glad you love that. I, I'm glad you, you love my stuff on, on not uh, grumbling or complaining. I'm so thankful that you love all that I've said. But listen, I don't want you to just like it. I want you to do something with it. Practice these things, he says. Please take what you have heard from me and put it into practice because the church is not going to change and the people are not going to change by listening and amening the letter. They're going to change by putting into practice what God has said. You can come here every single week and enjoy the sermon every week and never make spiritual progress if you do not take this moment as the beginning of a conversation as a word from God that is calling you to do something because of it. Listen, I am not simply here to help you to understand the text better. I am here to plead with you, as 2 Corinthians 5 says, to listen and respond to the word of God. And I love what Paul says here. He really gives us insight into the way in which discipleship works. He says, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. This is not only at the end of a letter, it's the end of 10 years of relationship. This is why Paul is so biographical. He, he shows us how to suffer well. He shows us how to make Christ the center of our life. He, he shows us how to rejoice in suffering. He shows us the type of passions and affections and desires and pursuits we should have. And just like he says in chapter 3, verse 17, imitate me and those who are like me that watch the way I'm living and make this a part of your life. That investing in others is parenting and all of these things. It's about teaching the truth and then practicing the truth so that others are seeing you and being changed as a result. I think one of the reasons this is so important here is because these were first generation Christians. They, they didn't have any other model. I've spent a lot of time over the last about uh, 20 years ministering in a little country called Montenegro. It used to be part of former Yugoslavia. There's about 650,000 people in Montenegro. Uh, this is in southern Europe. 650,000 people. There are four known churches and maybe 200 believers. It's unbelievable to think that there's that many lost people in a country in Europe where there's just very, very few believers. I was there last year and I was asking one of the pastors, what's the biggest challenge that you face? And he simply said this, the biggest challenge is that we're all first generation believers. We didn't see an example of marriage or parenting or how to love Jesus in the workplace. We didn't see anything. So no one comes to church with any understanding of what this looks like. And what God is saying to the believers in Philippi is the same thing. Listen, I know that you didn't see this modeled. But listen, the word of God is sufficient. Whether you had a good mom or dad or not, whether you were raised in the church or not, the word of God is sufficient to show you the way forward as a follower of Jesus Christ. He has given you instruction and he is calling you not simply to hear it, but to practice these things. Listen, every word that God gives us here is demanding a response. Every time we gather on Sunday morning, God is calling us to respond. Just imagine if I were to walk in the living room, I were to see one of my daughters sitting there, and I were to say, hey, honey, listen, it's Saturday. I need you to go up and, and clean your room. She said, okay. I come back 30 minutes later, and she's sitting there, and she hasn't done anything. And I say, honey, I think just a few minutes ago, I came in and told you, Dad, Dad, please, shh. Okay, honey, well, I, um, yeah, I know, but I, I literally about 30 minutes ago came and I, I, I told you, Dad, Dad, shh. Honey, listen to me. You have to right now. Dad, I'm thinking. Well, honey, that's great. What are you, 
What are you thinking about? Dad, I don't, I don't know. This is, this is incredible. I, I've just been sitting here thinking about all that it means when you say, honey, clean your room. I mean, I've wanted to know you better, and, and you know, sometimes you can be hard to figure out. And I, as I'm meditating on this, I'm just realizing this, this one moment tells me a lot about you. First of all, Dad, I'm starting to understand you value cleanliness. Yes, honey, I, I do. Dad, you, you value a work ethic. You want me to go up and to work, and, and that shows me how much you value it. Yes, yes, honey, that's true. And Dad, you know, it, it really shows me how much you value just obedience, and you want me to learn how to obey. Yes, honey, that's, that's so great. I'm, I'm really glad you're having these deep thoughts. Now, I'm going to give you about four seconds to get, you know. <laughs> you know the rest of the story, right? Here's, here's what's funny. That's absolutely ridiculous. But do you realize that's exactly what we do with God's word? That's exactly what we do with God's word. We open it up and say, God, I'm just, boy, I tell you, you just, you've commanded me to start thinking correctly. Boy, that, that really shows me how significant my mind is. Boy, God, it really shows me, boy, the mind is, is really powerful. And it really reveals to me that you've given me this word that I can fill my mind with these things. I guarantee you, in most churches around America this morning, including this one, there will be people who do exactly what I just said. They will be amazed by the word, they will think about the word, and they will go and do nothing with the word. God has not simply given us this just to think more about him, that we might do something about what he has said to us. We begin to wage a war on the mind. We begin to transform the way in which we're thinking. We begin to take the word of God and apply it to our lives so that by our spirit-fueled effort, we are making spiritual progress. And i got to tell you, what I love the most is the fact that Paul uses this word, practice practice because you know what it reminds me that none of us have arrived it reminds me that none of us are actually this good at this all right we're just we're just not that good all of us need work all of us must improve we're all in a process we're all learning that God is taking his time with us and we have a tendency to want everybody to be so patient with us but we're not that patient with everybody else can I just say listen God is working on those around you if they know the Lord and you need to be working on your own life and Seeking to move forward, but listen, this is practice because you don't know how to do this. None of us know how to do this. And I just love the fact that Paul is saying, listen, I know this is hard and I know this is complicated, but listen, just take what God has told you today and move forward. Listen to the word, read the word, be in the word, obey what God has called you to do today and don't worry about the rest. And he says, and the most amazing thing happens, it says at the very end of verse 9, and the God of peace will be with you. This is not talking about peace with God. There's nothing that matters more than peace with God. Peace with God is a reminder that before we know Jesus Christ and have a relationship with him, we are enemies of God. Do you know that? We are enemies of God unless we know Jesus Christ. That God is not for us, he is against us. And Romans chapter 5 says this, that those who are justified by faith have peace with God. That you can have peace with God. You can have a right relationship with God if you choose to trust and follow Jesus Christ, believing that his death is sufficient to cover your sins, that he was raised to walk to give you newness of life. That when you come into a relationship with God, you get peace with God. You're in a right relationship with him. And you must do that. But this is saying that those who know the Lord really begin to experience the peace of God as they come to be obedient to God. 
But Isaiah 26.3 says this, he keeps in perfect peace those whose thoughts are fixed on him, that God wants to be with you. He wants you to understand intimacy and fellowship with him. He wants you to experience him and know him and enjoy him. And that enjoyment of him is in the process of pursuing him, filling our mind with his thoughts, moving forward in obedience to what he has called us to do. Let me tell you this and I'll be done. As I've been in this, this kind of pursuit of trying to figure out how does spiritual progress work, one of the most important principles I've learned is this, listen carefully, is that direction matters more than distance. Direction matters more than distance. I, I'm, a, I'm a distance guy. What I mean by that is I just want to go further, I want to do more, I want to see everything go to the next level. That's just who I am and I'm always driving and I'm always kind of frustrated with myself that I'm not making more progress. And, I just see the person I want to be, and I realize who I am, and I do the same with everything else. And one of the things God is saying to me is, Josh, listen, you need to focus your mind on direction. Let me take care of the distance. Your responsibility is to get your eyes on Jesus, to right now today choose to do the right things, choose to think the right things, and trust that as you're moving in the right direction, God will determine the distance. Don't worry about the distance. Let God take care of that. You worry about the direction. Listen. And if your thoughts and your practicing are determining your direction, what direction are you headed this morning? What direction are you headed? If your thoughts and your practicing are determining your progress, they're determining your direction, what direction are you headed? Are you headed in the right direction? Are you making spiritual progress? Are you reading the word of God consistently? Are you reading the word of God consistently enough to transform your mind? Are you engaged enough with the people of God and the church of God that there are those who are watching over you and knowing when things are going well and when they're not? Are there areas of obedience that God is calling you to that you're refusing to be obedient to? And the fact is, is that you're never going to move beyond that because you won't simply obey in that specific issue. The truth is, is that God is deeply concerned with your progress and he will help you to make progress question is this, are you headed in the right direction? I pray by God's grace that you would be actively pursuing him and seeing what spiritual progress looks like. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.